Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Ridfin. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded on the ancestral home of the Ho-Chunk Nation in Madison, Wisconsin, USA, and on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne, Australia. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and their elders past and present and welcome any First Nations people listening today, wherever you are. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Lead to Soar podcast, the podcast where Mel Butcher and I talk about all things women, work, leadership, career, and as you know, we get a bit ranty, uh, but we're also very focused on helping women to find solutions to navigate the systems that are simply not yet fixed and not yet optimised for them to achieve their full potential. And today, I tell you what, I've got Cindy Gallup with us today, and for those of you who don't know Cindy, she is a person who likes to blow shit up. They are her words, not mine, but I totally, totally resonate with them. Cindy says that she is the Michael Bay of business. She's a serial entrepreneur and a fearless advocate for women, uh, and especially when it comes to equal pay. So in today's conversation, I'm going to chat with, with Cindy about what I think are just some of the critical topics for business women, but also for their bosses. Now, I don't mind which bosses listen, how they, uh, what their gender is. Bosses, you need to listen in because there'll be some good advice here. Number one, we're going to talk about don't empower me, pay me. So how to ask for and get the salary you deserve. So there'll be, I hope, well, I know there'll be some advice from Cindy for women, but again, bosses, I want you to listen in because some of this is your responsibility. And the second second part of the conversation is around personal brand, which I think is also quite linked to value and economic security and things like that. But uh, some key messages, which listeners, long-time listeners will have heard me say a lot, if you don't promote yourself, then who the hell will? So 
we're going to get some words of wisdom from Sydney about that. And again, I want to reiterate, if you're a boss listening in, really listen into this because we've got to stop fixing women and start fixing these systems that hold women back. So with all that, welcome to the pod, Cindy. Terrific to have you here. Thank you. Delighted to be here. And my partner in all things women, leadership and careers, Mel Butcher, is also joining the conversation today. Good to have you here, Mel. Glad to be here. Okay. Cindy, you have had a career that spanned different industries and geographies. And I would also say as a as a woman in her 50s, different decades as well, or some decades. Can you give us the Cindy Gallup career showreel first off? Sure. I mean, my background is 37 years working in brand building, marketing and advertising. Actually, before that, I began my career in theatre marketing and publicity. I fell madly in love with theatre at Oxford University at Somerville College. College where I studied, because Oxford has a very thriving student drama scene, decided that all I wanted to do was work in theatre for the rest of my life. Knew I wasn't good enough to be an actress or a director, but when I was young, I used to draw a lot. And so my friends at Oxford pulled me into designing theatre posters. And from there, they pulled me into selling their shows. And I really enjoyed that. So I became a theatre marketing and publicity officer at a couple of theatres in the UK for several years. Until I got completely fed up with working 24-7 and earning chicken feed, which is what you do in theatre. And just as I was feeling disillusioned, and I was at the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool at the time, I gave a talk about the theatre to a group of women on Merseyside. And afterwards, one, one of them came up to me and she said, young lady, you could sell a fridge to an Eskimo. And I thought, that is the universe telling me something, time to sell out and go into advertising. And so that's what I proceeded to do. And so that's been the bulk of my career. And 16 years of that was spent at the advertising agency Bartle, Bogle, Hegarty, BBH, for whom I worked in London, you know, moved to Singapore for two years from 96 to 98 to help start up and run the Asia Pacific office. And I'm here in New York because back in 98, I moved here to start up the American office for them. I left the corporate advertising world in 2005, and I've been working for myself ever since as an entrepreneur, consultant, and a public speaker. So I've got a couple of things to ask about that. Number one, in your career, when you were working for other folks, you clearly had some pivotal moments where you thought, okay, number one, I'm going to exit this corporate career at some point. But you were moving up the ladder. You became very, very successful. Can you think about a person or people that had an impact on your development and your mindset and I guess your drive and ambition and what was the impact that they had or how did they have that impact on you? Sure. So what I would say is that I was extraordinarily lucky in my advertising career. And I was lucky for two reasons. That The second one of which answers your question, Michelle, but I, I want to make our listeners aware of the first one as well. So the first reason I was lucky was because I was never sexually harassed in a way that ended my career. And by the way, I absolutely was sexually harassed, but not to the degree that unfortunately impacts so many women in every industry, which is where it manages you out of your job and out of the industry. So that's the first reason I I was very lucky. And then the second reason I was lucky is the answer to your question, because I can count on one hand the number of female bosses that I had in the advertising industry, two. And so I always, virtually always, found myself working for men. And I was lucky enough to work for men who saw my potential before I did, who wanted me to succeed, who believed in me and who championed me and who gave me opportunities. And I say that I was lucky in that respect because so many women in my industry and every other industry never, ever had that. 
So, so yes, you know, coming up in my day, I'm 62, you know, uh, back in the day, um, I was always reporting into men. But as I say, they were absolutely amazing. And, you know, the role models that, you know, Dave Trott at Girl Greenies Trot, John Bartle, Nigel Bogle and John Hegarty at Bartle, Bogle and Hegarty, you know, men I worked um, for Ted Bates, J. Wolf Thompson before that. I was just so fortunate to work for wonderful, wonderful male bosses. It's a really interesting perspective because, and as I said, I'm, I'm 57, so we we occupy a similar a similar age bracket. And like you, I, I you've just really made me think about the fact. Yes, I absolutely have been sexually harassed through my career as well, but never a career ending a career ending one. So it's interesting. I, I hadn't really considered that perspective, but like you. I didn't have a female CEO until I was in my 40s. So, uh, and again, I had great male champions. So I think there's a, there's an immediate call to action there for any bosses listening, uh, irrespective of what gender you are. But let's face it, men still occupy the majority of powerful roles in the world. So this is a, a, a call to action. Find those women, find, because well, they're right there, actually. They're not hard to find and champion their potential. But, uh, Don't. And- and here's the important thing about that, Michelle. The word is champion. Because what I've been saying to women for literally decades is I want you to strike the word mentor from your vocabulary and replace it with champion. Because women are told all the time, so much they internalize it, you know, you need mentor. Mm-hmm. And language matters. And what the word mentor suggests is touchy-feely, chat-chat-chat, cry on shoulder, we don't need mentors, we need champions, because champions are people who make shit happen for you. We need what men get all the time, which is someone prepared to go out on a limb for us. A champion is somebody who, behind closed boardroom doors, slams their fist on the table and says, there's only room in my budget for one pay raise, it's going to Jane, not John. So, Look for champions. Look for people who will make things happen for you. Don't don't think about it and don't look for mentors. I love it. Every time I post, I have a particular graphic that I post on wherever I can post it, which is women are over-mentored and under-promoted. And I, I usually get an, an awful lot of helpful, I use inverted commas, advice about why I'm dissing mentoring programs and I'm not being helpful. I'm going, well, you know, screw you, pay me. I, I don't, and, and I think that's a great segue into the, you know, stop empowering us pay us but i do want to come back to the mentoring piece because like you i get a fairly animated about the career advice the conventional career advice given to women find a mentor no 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 don't find a mentor get a strategic mentor someone who as you said and carla harris says it as well in her ted talk who is thumping the table for you you know behind closed doors who's that person who's putting their social and political capital on the line for you to bring you forward to push you forward into roles that you absolutely deserve so it's worth noting men never get told to find mentors and the reason men never get that piece of advice is because they have no problem finding champions i mean and by the way they may call them mentors but basically men jump at the chance to champion other men because it's really easy for you know the men at the top to look at men coming up through the ranks and go oh he reminds myself at his age i can see myself in him he's great to have a beer with yeah you know He's got loads of potential. He'll go far. And then they champion the hell out of him. Men do not look at women in that way. In fact, a lot of men, unfortunately, look at women in quite the opposite way, which is let's sexually harass this woman because that I just want to sleep with her. And so, you know, we absolutely, um, as I said, need to find champions. But also, I really appreciate your call out to bosses because men need to think differently about this because we deliver in exactly the same way as the men that you champion. 
you know, you champion us and you will see a return on that investment because we we are capable of performing even better than the men who have it easy because we will absolutely go for it when we're given the opportunity. 100% agree. And, you know, there's – so Susan Colantuno, our co-host and, and my, my business partner, uh, she says, you know, men mentor men – about the business of the business, men mentor women differently. They, they, they're supportive. And as you said, touchy feely or give you a hug or be encouraging and kind and what have you. Enough of that. Tell us how to run the business. Tell us how to get ahead and tell us how to get paid what we're worth. And I think, you know, some of the conversations and what we, it's interesting. I've just come off my weekly group coaching call with, with a career that soars, the women in a career that soars. And, you know, so often we're talking about salary, get paid what you're worth, share, you know, salary transparency amongst women. But, you know, again, it's, it's, it's nipping away at the edges of it. So. I, I want to kind of segue now. I'm, I'm going to come back to bosses, though, and champions and the role that men um, have to play. But first of all, let's let's talk about money because, you know, it's a really, really, still a really tricky subject for a whole bunch of women. And I'm going to quote you back at you. Um, you talk about, I want women to be unashamedly and unembarrassedly ready to set out to make the largest amount of money they possibly can. And it's incredibly important that we do that. I'm not going to quote the rest because I'm going to let you finish it. Why is it incredibly important that women set out to make the most money that they can? So what I actually say, Michelle, as you probably know, is I want every woman to unashamedly set out to make an absolute God, I'm fucking shit ton of money. <laughs> and, and, and I explain that I deliberately articulate it like that because that is how much money I want all of us to make. And... There are a number of reasons why I want us all to make that money. And, and it's not just about making that money for you. Obviously, I want every one of us to be able to, to have that money. But also, it's incredibly important that every woman, when she walks into that job interview, that, you know, performance and pay review, that she absolutely is determined to make the most money she possibly can, because you need to do that for the rest of us. Because if you don't, when the leadership at your company, who are very likely to be men, unfortunately, when they look at that giant spreadsheet that lists out all of the salaries of everyone in the company, and when they see, as they will, that all the women are paid less than the men, that translates in their minds into, oh, that's because the women are less good than the men. So you absolutely have to get paid what you're worth for all of us. And then the other reason I want you to make an absolute god on fucking shit ton of money is because when you do that, you can then use that money to fund other women. You can help other women. You can support other women financially. You can donate to other women. We need to build our own financial ecosystem because the white male one is not working for us. And by the way, again, because I really appreciate your call out to bosses, bosses, it's incredibly easy to get to equal pay instantaneously. All you do is you take that giant spreadsheet and you instantly raise the salary of every woman doing a great job in the same role as a man to the same salary as that man. Problem solved. Equal pay instantly. And if for any reason you don't want to do that, 
there's another really quick and easy way to get to equal pay immediately, which is you simply lower the salary of every single man at the same level to be the same as the salary of the woman. Massive cost-cutting exercise. Your shareholders will love it. You know, that there's a there's a great example of revolution because I quite often, uh, it's interesting, I'm, I'm, think, I'm reflecting on a conversation I was having with the board of one of the companies I consult to. They said, oh, you know, Michelle, when are we going to see some more progress on gender equity? And I said, well, I'd like you to tell me whether you want a revolution or whether you want evolution, because these are two very different strategies. And they said, well, what does revolution look like? And I didn't quite go as far as you, but I, I put some fairly bold statements and went, ooh, okay, we might go for evolution. I said, so there's your answer about how quickly you're going to get the results you want. So this is the mindset. Am I prepared to, and I hate the word bold because my bold is someone else's, you know, bolshy and all that kind of stuff. But are you prepared to really be step in and go, right, this is what we need to do to solve this problem? And I love the call out to the shareholders. Yeah, as a shareholder myself, you know, my wife and I have, you know, we're at, at that time of our life when we're at, we have, but we've become affluent because we've been careful and saved and all that kind of stuff. Yes, we now can give back, but I look from a shareholder's perspective and I think, yeah, I want those organisations to pay their women equally, but I also want underperforming folks not to be paid, um, overpaid for what they do. And I also want, I want the leaders of organisations to start making gutsy decisions. And, and, you know, I actually don't think some of this thing, this stuff is gutsy at all. But anyway, that's, you know, potato, potato, I, I suppose. I really encourage people to flip the lens on this, okay, because the answer is not to welcome gender equality, diversity and inclusion into a company. The answer is to get the sexists, the racists, the homophobes and the ableists and the ageists out. That's how you get to where we want to be. Interesting because there's another piece of advice that I give, which is someone else's advice, but it's, you know, I say to, they go, well, what do we do about the dinosaurs in the company? And the dinosaurs is a nice way of, ref- of referring to the sexists, the racists, the homophobes, the ableists and the ages. I say, well, there's a couple of things that you need to do. Number one is stop focusing your efforts on those people when you're looking at your diversity, equity and inclusion plan. They are never, ever going to change. So if we think about COVID, we need to inoculate the rest of the organisation from those people and we need to quarantine them away from the rest of the organisation. Now, whether that's getting rid of them, and I don't know if, if, if people have got the gumption to do that, or saying, look, we actually need to quarantine them because that staff, they are influencing the next generation and the generation of leaders after them. So, you know, yes, we don't want to pander to their knees, but we do need to take action to say, let's get them out or protect the rest of our organisation from them, particularly the women, because we are still so often doing the heavy lifting around equality or being taken seriously. Which brings me to, well, I guess this is another part of the heavy lifting is saying how your advice to women about asking for the amount of money that they want. Number one, I think settling on that 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 number. So how do they settle on that number, Cindy? What do I want? What do I want to be paid? <laughs> so, um, so I've been giving this piece of advice to women again for decades. The amount you ask for is always the highest amount you can say out loud without actually bursting out laughing. And trust me, it works. Because literally, pretty much every week, I hear from a woman somewhere in the world who says, oh my God, Cindy, I did that. And it totally worked. I mean, I, I've heard from women who have doubled their salary 
you know, by asking for that and getting it. So that is the amount you ask for, the highest amount you can say out loud without actually bursting out laughing. There will be some of our listeners, and I uh, this, uh, again, might be slightly autobiographical for the former me, the younger me, which might, I just, honestly, Cindy, I, I know that's great, but you're a very powerful, very experienced woman, and it's okay for you to say that. But look, I'm just little Michelle in a big organisation, and I'm just going to get so much pushback when I, when I do that. So, you know, I, I just don't know that that's good advice. So, so the first thing I say is this is a business negotiation. Your company hired you based on your talents and skills at business. They expect you to be good at business. When you negotiate your salary, all you're doing is you are demonstrating the business skills they hired you for. This is a business negotiation like any other, which, by the way, means um, it's a negotiation. And you always start high in a negotiation. And by the way, you know, the entertaining thing is, you know, when you you utter the amount that you can just about say out loud without actually bursting out laughing, like I said, every woman I've heard from has gotten it. Okay, that gives you some idea of how massively underpaid and undervalued women are. You know, because because there's also an emotional dimension to this, which is people value you at the value you are seen to put on yourself. If you undervalue yourself, so will everybody else. And trust me, depressingly, in most companies, they are already undervaluing you. And this is where you set the record straight and get paid what you deserve. You're talking about a real mindset shift. You know, we are, certainly Mel and I have, have done a couple of podcasts around the conversations you have with your boss, how to prepare for a negotiation, the nuts and bolts around, you know, the process for a salary negotiation. But you're talking about our mindset. You're really... I suppose also getting rid of some of our internalized patriarchy, which is I'm actually not worth that much. Yeah, um, yeah, but no, no, exactly. So you know, a, a couple of historical anecdotes from my own um, negotiating career. I remember the very first time I ever negotiated my salary. So I was a baby, you know, account manager. This was a third agency I worked at um, in London, Gilgreen Strat GGT, and my first paying performance review was coming up, and I had a figure. That, that I wanted to get a raise to. Um, and, and, and to be frank, it was so long ago, I can't remember what it was, but it was where, where I decided I want to be. So I had um, a review with the managing director of the agency and my boss, who was the head of account management. My performance review was glowing. And then they gave me, they said, here's your pay raise, Cindy. And it was £1,000 short of what I wanted it to be. And here's my first piece of advice, okay? Even if you're nervous as hell, just start arguing for what you want, okay? Because I just thought... I've got to ask for it. And so I, 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 I have no recollection of what I said. My voice sounded very tiny and very far away, like it wasn't coming from me. I just began speaking. And God knows what came out of my mouth. But I basically said, you know, I want £1,000 more. And both men were massively taken aback. Okay? <laughs> and they looked at each other. And then the managing director said, Cindy, can you just step out into the corridor for a few minutes? And they closed the door. And a few minutes went by. And then they called me back into the room and they gave it to me. There so. You go. Always, always negotiate for what you want. So I thought, wow, this worked. So my next notable negotiation story was I moved from GGT to BBH. And and BBH at the time was the hottest agency in London. This was the late 80s. And so I moved on the same salary that I was being paid at GGT, but, but with the commitment that in six months' time, they would give me a pay review. And if I was performing as they expected me to, then I get a pay raise. So my, my six-month, you know, my first six-month performance review at BBH came round. 
And I went, right, right. Now, I want a raise of £5,000, but I probably won't get that because that's quite big. So I want £5,000, but I'll settle for three. So in the days leading up to this performance review, I've really like geared myself up. You know, again, I was 20, whatever at the time, you know, geared myself up, you know, had this refrain in my head, want five, I'll settle for three. Want five, I'll settle for three. So I found myself, you know, on, you know, as, as the time of the day dawns, standing outside the head of account management's office door in my head going, want five, settle for three. Want five, settle for three. My grandma said, so sat down with him, got this glowing performance review. You know, they were thrilled with everything I'd done. You know, couldn't work out better, blah, blah, and, and I barely heard it because in my head I was going, want five, settle for three. Want five, settle for three. And then, and then he said, and so, you know, um, in light of this terrific performance, we're giving you a pay rise of £6,000. <laughs> and I was so gobsmacked. I just sat there in complete silence. I looked at him and he thought I was really unhappy with how low that was. And so he went, oh, oh, but of course, you, you know, Cindy, we'll give you another pay rise in another six months' time. You know, and, and obviously, you know, if you're doing as well, then we'll, you know, that all, silence also works as a negotiating tactic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. You know, Edie, you're absolutely right because people are very uncomfortable with silence. And certainly as, as someone who works with lots of humans, and I, I'm, I'm now very good at not filling the space, as in just because you know someone will jump in. they go, oh, God, I can't stand this. Yes, I need yes, to get exactly. in there. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Well, it, and it's interesting knowing what you want. I had a conversation, I kid you not, on Monday night at dinner with, with someone and she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, all right, then what are you going to talk about? And she said, I need to put my big girl pants on. I said, all right, you're in the right spot. And she said, so I've been given a 3.5% pay rise. And I said, right. And she said, well, I don't think that's fair. And I said, all right, so what would be fair? She goes, well, I don't know, but it's not fair. I said, so what is fair then? And I said, because if you go whinging to your boss, well, it's not fair. And and, and she said, oh. And I said, so did everyone get three and a half percent or did some get one and you got three and a half? I said, is your performance here? Because she said, I've helped the business grow. And I said, well, good. That's a good mindset. So you had KPIs of this. You know, you had $100,000 worth of stuff to sell. You sold $150,000 worth. You helped the organization grow. Awesome. So tick, tick, tick. But what do you want? Mm, good point. I said, don't go in whinging to say this is not fair. So do you want... 4%. Oh, no, not really. I said, do you want 5%? Well, I think that'd be reasonable. I said, okay. So you probably want to ask for 7 or 10. And But then the first question is, have you, you know, benchmark yourself. You've got to get the data, right? You've got to say, 
am I already – not that I particularly want women to, I guess, and I'll be interested in your view about saying, well, if I got three and a half and everyone else got two, that's probably fair. No, 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 no. Uh, um, two points on that. The first is that – so I remember, you know, a subsequent negotiation at BBH uh, because obviously I just I just really got into this negotiation thing big time after, after that where, you know, I was being given my performance pay review and I was not happy with it. And so I pushed back and my boss said to me, but Cindy, you know, this is the market average salary for an account director. And I went, I'm not a market average account director. Okay, no. And, and the second thing I would say, Michelle, based on the fact that I obviously, you know, have run agencies myself, you know, I've been in the leadership and the boss and the CEO position. And what I know, therefore, is that there is always money for the people who perform brilliantly. It does not matter how badly the business is doing. It doesn't actually matter what the directive from head office is to keep somebody who is clearly a massive asset to the business because they are selling the shit out of whatever they have to sell. They're bringing in revenue. When you can point to a business performance that you are delivering, there is always money to reward you, no matter what the business financial situation is. I very much appreciate you going there, Cindy, because the very heart of what Susan, Mel and I talk about with women is building their business strategic and financial acumen for their business, for themselves, and really understanding. I love that, the fact that, you know, yes, there's the market average, but I'm not a market average person and I'm here and I'm an outperformer. I contribute to helping the business grow. I want that to be reflected in my remuneration. So again, there's there's that real business savviness that you've got to be able, you've actually got to be able to speak the language of business to say, here's where the business is. This is where I've taken it to. I want that to be reflected. No, no, exactly. Because I'm a big fan of radical simplicity. I like to keep things very simple. And what I always say to people is that, you know, there is one single thing that will turbocharge your ascent up the career ladder more than anything else. There is one thing you can do that will massively accelerate your trajectory into the C-suite. And it's very simply this. Understand how your company makes money and recommend ways to make more money. That's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That is the one thing that will turbocharge your career path more than anything else. Oh, I totally agree. I, I heard a woman from BP a number of years ago. She had started as someone reasonably junior in the organisation and then had run major divisions and speaking to a group of women and they said, oh, you know, one of the questions, what's the best bit of a career advice you can give us? Exactly the same as she says, every job I go into, she said, I sit my team down, I say, show me how we make money. And then we're going to work out how to make more of it. It is a radical simplicity. How do we make money? And then how do we make more of it? And, you know, and, and I think coming back to that first part of why do we want women to make more money? Because it's good for us. It's good for our families. It's good for society. Society, but it's bloody good for shareholders too, because when we're making money, we're spending money as well, might be with our own company or, or with others. So how do we make money? So there you go, listeners. How does your organisation make money? How do you contribute to that happening? And importantly, how do you figure out and then demonstrate that you know that and you know how to help the, the organisation make even more money? So that's there you go. That's your career advice in one hit. We now need to close our network because that's it. That's what everyone needs to do. Basically, it's because we don't get taken seriously until we get taken seriously financially. And interestingly, if you think back, again, if, if I 
like you, I reflect on my career and think about people who gave me advice. And yes, they were men because I reported to men for the first 20 years of my career. I I often say I got a really great bit of advice when I was was a baby manager of of 22. And I don't know that I took enough of advice, but he said, Michelle, I want you to, because I was running a, a credit society branch at the time, he said, I want you to remember that every decision you make, make it like you are paying for it out of your own pocket. Make it, if you have to cut the check for this decision, would you make that decision? Bloody great advice. And as I said, I don't know if I actually paid enough attention to it at that age because I was a you know fairly arrogant 22-year-old who thought she knew it all. But that's the sort of advice that I think really helped me and subsequent, and me in then and in subsequent years to hone my business skills. Can you remember anyone or any situation where that really became apparent to you, aside from your own development, someone who intervened for you in that regard? Or did you? was it inherent and you just knew it? Just inherent in basically, I mean, I just sort of organically integrated that. And, you know, when I moved to New York and started up um, BBH US, which began as me in a room with a phone, starting an ad agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace, I made sure that everybody I hired knew exactly how the agency made money and how we needed to make more money. Because I was astonished at the number of agencies in our industry, and probably many other industries that don't do that with every single employee. You know, it's responsible of every single person in the company to understand how the company makes money and help the company make more money. So there's another call to action, bosses, because, yes, there's a lot of stuff we can do for ourselves. But bosses, you if you want high performance, sustainable high performance, in fact, sustainable outperformance, make sure every single person in, in your organization knows what we call their positional purpose. What do I pay you to do around here? I pay you to grow the organization and you've got to understand your role in taking that. How do we make money? How do we make more of it? So I think that's a, a great call to action for bosses. Let me segue into one of the next or the next part of our conversation, which is around personal brand. Because one of the things is having all of the skills, but the other thing is being known for it. There are some absolutely terrific people I know. I obviously know a lot of women, but no one knows about them because they haven't focused on their personal brand. Now, I know personal brand gets used a lot, but what's your advice around self-promotion, the mindset shift that's that's required? How do you get beyond the bullshit of all this? You know, we see so much about personal brands, Cindy, but what, what's, what are the key points here and how does it relate to your career path and earning what you're worth? Sure. So, Again, you know, it's very simple. Um, Identify what your vision for yourself is, what you ultimately want to be, do, achieve, and then tell people how to think about you in a way that moves you towards that ultimate goal. I'll give you an example. And one of the things I do is I do personal coaching. And I was coaching a woman. Um, I coach a lot of women. I mean, I also coach men, by the way, but but um, I do find women predominant want my help. So I was coaching a woman. She is a senior VP in, in a very big company. And, you know, she very much wants to be a CEO. And so, you know, in our last session, she said to me, so she was talking about and she said, so Cindy, I mean, you know me, you know, look at me. I mean, do you feel I have executive presence? And I went, fuck that shit. Okay, you have executive presence in goddamn spades. Okay, I mean, you are the executive presence of the future. If you want to be CEO, it's not about, oh, my God, do I have executive presence? Tell people how to think about you. So, you know, tell people that you are a CEO in waiting. Begin talking about yourself as CEO elect. Begin putting that out there. And and by the way, um, what I recommend, Michelle, is 
absolutely do this and build your personal brand on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is a phenomenal platform for making shit happen. Okay. Well, honestly, I'm surprised to hear myself say that because I'm very active across a whole bunch of social media. My favorite channel is actually Twitter, where I spend most time, but I've been blown away at how effective LinkedIn is. First of all, at reach and, you know, views and and getting to a much wider spread of people with anything you post than any other channel. I think that's because of how the LinkedIn algorithm works, where when any one of us likes a post, that is shown to everybody in our networks, whether or not they follow the person's posts we like. Anything you post on LinkedIn gets much wider exposure than on Instagram, on Twitter, on, on Facebook at all. But secondly, I've been blown away by how much you can make incoming interest happen for whatever you want it to on LinkedIn. So, you know, I am, I'm currently raising funding for my venture, Make Love Not Porn. I promote the hell out of it across all my social channels. I've been gobsmacked by the number of incoming investor approaches I've had from LinkedIn. From people who've said, I saw you posted about this. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. So equally, whatever you want to happen, you know, begin putting it out there on LinkedIn and by the way, within your organization. But the key thing is you tell people how to think about you. You don't leave them to make up their own minds. You tell them that you are a CEO in waiting. You tell them that you are absolutely bloody brilliant at this. You tell them that you have a vision of yourself, which includes this. Put that out there. And all you're doing is you're being true to yourself because that is ultimately what you want to achieve. And so start manifesting it now as your personal brand. I'm smiling here, listeners, because I'm I'm recollecting an experience in my own life seven years ago when I was starting out this part of this chapter. But, you know, and there's this saying, you you say it often enough, it becomes the truth. Let's face it. Donald Trump got elected on that, so far out. If he can do, if he can become president, anyone can do anything. But again, in furious agreement with you, I was asked to to go on a a panel uh, for an Australian Rules Football League uh, function some years ago, about seven years ago. And people said, "Oh, can you?" It was for Ida Hobbit Day, and you know, so there's all these, and I was the only woman on the on the panel, but of course, because there was a whole bunch of white men there, and blah blah blah, and they've introduced them all, and they said, "And now here's Michelle Redfern, the leading gender diverse." expert in the AFL and I I looked at my wife and she looked at me she went bloody awesome off you go and I went all right that's it and you know someone else said it out loud what I'd only really thought inside my own head but then it became true because number one I then thought well if someone else is saying it, I now believe it well the rest is history kind of thing so I yeah manifest and I know we you know we I don't get too woo woo or anything but there's just something about that mm. again that mindset Mel has this great saying which I credit her with she credits someone else with but moving up begins in your own mind first you know I think it's a bit like the salary conversations if you don't really believe it yourself who else is going to I ran a session for a bunch of women in the UK on Wednesday night about authentic and graceful self-promotion and you know I don't know that people had ever called me graceful but it's certainly authentic and I said you know you've actually got to know your own shit and believe your own shit you know if you don't believe stuff about yourself how the And also, it's not self-promotion if it's true. Absolutely. I mean, mean, I say to her, why do you say the word self-promotion like it's a bad thing? You know, my friend Maggie Cook says, women who don't self-promote are letting us all down. And she's absolutely right. We need all of us to speak up for all of us. 
And again, I think this is this is really helpful in terms of if if you're a uh, you know listener, if you're thinking, oh, I just I can't really step into this for me. Bloody well, do it for the rest of us because you know a woman who stands up for herself is great. A woman who stands up for all women is even greater. And also, you know, I would just say, and by the way, you know, this is not advice I like to give, but but I, I give it in in the sense of our current reality, which is in any given situation, ask yourself, WWSWGD, what would a straight white guy do? <laughs> talk himself up to the bloody skies. You know, honestly, in in my um, investor conversations about Make Love Not Porn, you know, a little while back, I had a conversation. I was introduced to a man, to our mutual friend felt could kind of help me, you know, find investors and funding. And and so we did a Zoom call. And so I said to him, so do tell me all about, you know, obviously I'd researched him online. You know, I'd seen his, you know, profile LinkedIn. And I have to tell you, you know, I was quite frankly, open mouth and admiration because he proceeds to give himself the most incredibly confident intro in which he wrapped up achievement after achievement seamlessly into, I mean, I just sat there thinking, fuck me, that's how women should do it. You know, it, it was a masterclass in talking himself up with, you know, at every company he'd worked at, he had led this charge, he'd done this breakthrough, he was solely responsible for this, and by by the way, I know he probably wasn't, but 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 honestly, that's the way you introduce yourself. I was an awe. <laughs> mm. Well, well, I hope that he is sharing his knowledge and wisdom and techniques with a whole bunch of other women. Because again, let's come back to the bosses or the champions. If you really want to be a champion of women, number one, you're going to help her promote herself. You're going to help her not just develop, but demonstrate all of the stuff that makes up what we call personal brand or the stuff that she brings. Now, how does she show up? Talk about it. Uh, well, but also, Michelle, I would just push back on that because but bring this conversation back full circle to our discussion of mentoring earlier. One of the reasons that women get told all the time they should find mentors is because the implication is that we are deficient. Nobody ever thinks that about men. Men come into the workforce fully qualified. They're never told they need to find mentors. And, you know, the men who champion them go, you know, he's a bright young lad, he's going to go far, I'm going to put, you know. Um, but there's a assumption of women that we are inferior. We are deficient. We need a lot of help. We need to be told how to do things because we have no idea. And that's absolute total bollocks. And so honestly, because we all know we get far too much male advice as it is. Um, what men simply need to do is believe in us, see our potential and champion the hell out of it and give us equality of opportunity. That's all. Give us the same opportunity. Well, I know you and and, and Tomas uh, Chamorro Pramusic have talked about. Well, he talks about why so many incompetent men get promoted, but both of you have talked about or written about the the bad career advice that that women get. And and we talk about this conventional advice that's given to women from the outset of the careers that is not given to men. And unfortunately, they're still getting that same advice at mid and senior levels, or in fact at mid level, which prevents them from breaking through um into senior letter, uh, levels. So you know. I, so I, I guess, you know, I, I, I totally get the find a mentor. I think we're we're on the same page there. Um, what else do you want women to ignore? Well, so much. I'll, I'll, I'll give one example of just, I would like women to flip the lens on all of the advice they're given. Because, for example, you know, women are told to change our language, you know, because we're not speaking in a confident way. So women are told to stop saying sorry so often. Stop using the word just. And 
I believe it is absolutely not about telling women to say sorry less. It's about telling men to say sorry a damn sight more. Because we'd all be a whole lot happier in business and in life if men just said sorry a great deal more. If men use the word just to qualify, oh, is it okay if I just do this? You know, that's that's the way to go. And quite frankly, um, you know, what I do encourage women to do is... So this is where I take issue with Sheryl Sandberg, because Sheryl Sandberg for years has been exhorting us to lean in within the existing system. And I want us to redesign the system. And so I say to women, start your own industry. And what I mean by that is I actually mean start your own business. But I deliberately articulate it like that, because when you start your own business, you can design that business to work any way you want you can make your business operate the way that you want it to. And when you do that, you are starting the industry that we all want to live and work in. And, you know, I have this conversation a lot with women. And in fact, I had precisely this conversation just yesterday with with another woman I'm coaching, where, you know, she had reached out to me because she wants to make a career change. And she knows the sector she wants to move into, which is one I know a great deal about. And so I was able to advise on that. But she is currently working in a whole different industry in a job where she is enormously unhappy. And I said to her, honestly, you need to get the fuck out. And the reason for that is because I'm half English, half Chinese. My English grandmother was an amazing woman, very formative experience in my youth. She was Christian, but she was utterly fascinated with Buddhism, the religion. And so I always remember um, there was this Buddhist quote that she would say to us when we were children. And it goes, the fool says evil cannot touch me, but drop by drop the picture fills. And I said this to this woman yesterday, and I said, you may think that you can stick it out in that job for a reasonable period of time, save up some money, you know, to be able to jump ship. And I'm here to tell you that every day that you carry on living with those microaggressions, with all of that sexist shit around you, every single day is destroying another little piece of your soul. You are losing every day you stay there. Your self-confidence is being eroded. Your self-esteem is being eroded. Your belief in what you're capable of doing is being eroded. Get the fuck out. And I'm delighted to say she went, you're right. She went, that really hit home. I'm going to, she said, I've I've got enough savings. I can absolutely leave this job and do what I really want to do, which will, in the first instance, require a drop in salary, but ultimately has, has the potential to enable her to progress far more than where she is currently. Well, I'm living, breathing proof of of, of exactly that. And, you know, because you do get to the point where you think, can I change this system from within? Absolutely not. And in fact, we interviewed last week, we interviewed an organisational psychologist called Noah Rain, and and she was talking about, you know, let's let's be really clear about the language. And you said at the start, let's be clear about language, be better with it. You know, we talk about toxic workplaces. She goes, let's talk about toxic. Toxic is poison. So if you're in, if you're being poisoned, so if someone said to you, get into a polluted, uh, you know, into the ocean that's polluted, you wouldn't. Yeah, no, exactly. Why would you get into or stay in a polluted, poisonous workplace? So, and I think there's a whole bunch of stuff around, you know, not every woman's got the choice and the privilege that I do to just exit and say, right, I'm going to start my own consultancy and what have you. But gee whiz, let's start using the language. I am in something that's poisoning me and my potential to live a life well lived. So I think, yeah, great advice. I want to flip around now to where you are right now. So you've got 
two businesses or you've got two, you've, you've got two, uh, organizations. Uh, you have set up the life that you want to live or you're working the way that you want to work. But tell us about your two organizations and what we can do about that. Well, actually, um, it's only one because I had to back burner my first startup if we ran the world to focus on Make Love Not Porn when it blew up. And and just um, for our audience's information, so I have a business that is a complete and total accident because I did not consciously and intentionally set out to, to build anything I very bizarrely find myself doing now. But it came about because I date younger men. They tend to be men in their 20s and realized um, 14, 15 years ago through dating younger men, that when we don't talk openly and honestly about sex, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And so my my business, Make Love Not Porn, is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. We are the world's first and only user-generated, human-curated social sex video sharing platform. So we're effectively what Facebook would be if it allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it doesn't. We are socializing and normalizing sex in the real world to make it easier to talk about. The way to think about us is if porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, Make Love Not Porn is the badly needed documentary. We are a unique window onto the funny, messy, loving, wonderful sex we all have in the real world. I designed Make Love Not Porn through the female lens to be the safest place on the internet. We human curate everything. There's no self-publishing. Our curators watch every social sex video submitted from beginning to end before we approve and publish. We have a revenue sharing business model. Our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors. We call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And we are sex education through real-world demonstration. I've fought a battle every day for the past 13 years to build this business. I've kept it alive for 10 years on just $3 million of funding. And so right now, I'm raising a serious round of funding to scale Make Love Not Porn, to build out the 0 to 18 version Make Love Not Porn Academy, which will be a global hub of aggregated sex education content and some other product expansions. And, you know, I've spent 13 years parallel pathing two things, working to build Make Love Not Porn and working to change the cultural and business context around a venture to do with sex. Because when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And so I'm happy to say that 13 years later, the barriers are finally falling. I'm talking to a lot of interested investors. And by the way, if there are any listening to this right now, you know, hit me up, Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. I'd love to chat. Excellent. Well, you, you've you've answered the uh, one of the asks. And, and I do know, you know I, I know a number of folks in the in the investment community. So my call out to you is, is, is get onto this because I've, I've followed your your journey for oh gee probably 10 or 12 years so I feel you know number one very privileged to be able to have a chat with you about it but two things that stand out to me number one disrupting so blowing shit up right you know because we do you know, I have a son and a daughter my son's 32 my daughter's 28 and 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 very open and honest with them about sex and what have you they grew up in a same-sex um, household blah 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 but it was not the norm. You know, it's still a very hushed, um, here's a book. And then, of course, particularly young men are going, there's such access to porn now um, on tap. You know, it's not like when I grew up, you had to sort of get someone older to buy the Playboy magazine or the Wrapped magazine. It's on tap. And they have these really terrible, terrible attitudes towards women and, and sex. So I'm, I'm really, really pleased that, 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 that you're doing this. My second reflection is I wonder if it would have taken 13 years 
to get your funding if you were a man? No, it's a fair question. And I'm sure it probably wouldn't have, to be frank. You know, I mean, last year, only 2% of all venture capital went to female founded ventures. That's how much the bias is. And, And by the way, I'll tell you what's really sad about that, Michelle, because I designed Make Love Not Porn to be fully diverse and inclusive. You know, um, we reflect the full glorious spectrum of human sexuality. Our members and our Make Love Not Porn stars are male, female, trans, non-binary, LGBTQ. But what is interesting is that over the 10 years we've been operating as a business, it's clear that we come as the biggest revelation to men. We probably get more appreciative emails and comments from men than anybody else because... We are something utterly unique that men can find nowhere else on the internet, which is a safe space where men can be and watch other men being open, emotional, and vulnerable around sex. You would not believe the number of men who write to us and say, I just watched my first video of Make Love Not Porn and afterwards I cried. I've been saying for years that I wish society understood the opposite of what it thinks is true. Women enjoy sex just as much as men, and men are just as romantic as women. Yet neither gender is allowed to openly celebrate that fact, and we'd all be a whole lot better off if they were. I picked up a Twitter exchange last year between two men. The first man had tweeted, and by the way, he was clearly joking. He went, guys, got this really weird fetish. I've got a kink. Well, I want to watch porn where people are honest, loving, loyal, decent, truth, and really nice to each other. Hit me up with your hottest links, please. Another man replied to him, and this man said, there's this website called Make Love Not Porn where you can see real couples making love. He said, I watched a video where the woman said to her man, I love you while they're making love. He said, sincerely, I cried when I heard that. We are one of the solutions to toxic masculinity. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why men should be funding the fuck out of us. I agree. So men, bosses, people with money and power, get on this because it is so important. And like the advice you gave to all of us uh, women um, at the start, make as much money as you can because it's good for all of us. Get onto this because it is good for all of us. So much more that I I could talk to you about Cindy, but I really appreciate your wisdom about how women can get paid what they're worth. But importantly, let's flip it. Bosses, I want you to stop expecting women to do the heavy lifting. If she is outperforming, so she knows how your business makes money and she knows how what her role is in doing more of that, bloody well pay her. Stop asking her to come with a begging bowl every year at her performance eval. And then, you know, the personal brand, who are you? What is it that you bring? And bloody well shout it from the rooftops, manifest it. Even if you, and if there's that still that little inner voice going, you're not really that yet, Michelle, tell her to sit down, shut up and, and, and go, you know, sit down in the corner and shut up and start telling it. I'm a CEO in waiting. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm the leading gender equality expert in the AFL. Whatever your jam is, say it out loud and say it often. And again, let's flip it. When you hear a woman say that, but leave her and back her in, be her champion. Um, and then finally, you know, disrupting, blowing shit up in what is, you know, the global porn industry, which has been so, so harmful to women and to men and to others, but particularly to women, you're blowing that shit up. And I love that. But here's the call to action. Let's back women founders because the fact that only 2% of us or only 2% of funding comes to us, and even worse, if you're a black, Latino or Asian woman, that is just bullshit. So let, come on, people, let's get behind these women-led startups and back them in because they are good for women, which is good for society. Cindy Gallup, amazing. Thank you. I am fan-womaning all over here. So um, love your work. And again, Cindy, 
how can our community help you right now? One last call to action. Um, honestly, everybody, if you like what I've said, please support my startup. Go to makelovenotporn.tv, sign up and subscribe. Subscriptions start at $10 a month, incredibly cheap. Consider becoming a Make Love Not Porn star. Represent. And um, anybody who you know um, knows an investor or is an investor, I'd love to hear from you. And bear in mind, in the current economic downturn, Make Love Not Porn is recession-proof and my market never, ever goes away. <laughs> Fantastic. Cindy Gallup, you are awesome and keep blowing shit up. We love it. Thank you, Michelle. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Brilliant. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of a career that soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com.